This episode is brought to you by Dentons Canada. From startups to industry icons, Dentons acts for a wide variety of companies in both the public and private realms. As the world's largest law firm, Dentons can provide its global reach to your business. Visit Dentons.com for more details. Welcome to The Frontier, a podcast series brought to you by Cap Intel, dedicated to bringing you the latest insights, innovations, and investment philosophies from the professionals who invest your money. Today on the podcast, we have Christopher Curlo, a portfolio manager with Richardson GMP. It's probably one of the best times to be a retail investor. The amount of options out there are bountiful, costs have come way in. But I think that is what presents one of the biggest challenges is trying to determine which provider and which solutions are right for you as a retail investor. Chris graduated from St. Mary's University with a Bachelor of Commerce degree, double majoring in finance and entrepreneurship. He began his career with Scotia Asset Management in 2008 and had progressing roles before becoming a senior analyst in the investment consulting group. Chris was awarded with the Chartered Financial Analyst designation in 2012 and is now an equity portfolio manager with Richardson GMP. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. What makes a fund tactical? So we define tactical as something that can be more nimble, switching in and out of asset classes. Our approach takes a systematic approach to that, moving from equities to bonds based on momentum in the market. So essentially when the market's increasing or is in a bull run, you're purchasing equities to chase that. And then when it starts to fail in what's called a bear market, then you're, you're selling off and switching into fixed income. Yeah, that's right. We, our models look exclusively at the North American equity markets. As the equity markets rally, we purchase more and more into the equity side of the fund. And then as mark, as equity markets sell off, we purchase fixed income uh, ETFs in our case. Those are simply our risk off bucket. Um, we're not really looking at the fixed income market for momentum. We're looking exclusively at the equity market uh, and purchasing fixed income when our trading models are telling us to reduce our equity weight. So essentially, instead of pushing cash out, you're kind of using the bond market to park the money in times when the equity markets are going down. Essentially, um, historically, equities and fixed income have had an inverse relationship uh, with fixed income securities doing well during times of heightened equity market volatility. Uh, We tested this model going back to the 1970s doing out of sample tests of all the major corrections and uh, have noticed some some pretty good results. And uh, as well as when we look at our live data since inception of the solution um, back in 2011 on our separately managed account platform. And do you guys buy individual stocks and bonds when you're trying to jump in and out of the equity market or is there another vehicle you use? We actually use ETFs to deploy the strategy. Uh, It's one of the most operationally efficient as well as now cost efficient methods for us to do that. With the purchase of just one security, we can get exposure to either the S&P 500 or the S&P TSX composite, uh, which is much quicker and cleaner than trying to purchase each individual constituent inside of those indices. If a market's falling quickly, typically people can have a fear of or what there's a risk of is that there's no one to buy your stocks that you're trying to sell to, to get out, right? So in that context, like how do ETFs work? Can you kind of sell and sell and sell? Or is there any risk you could ever get locked up in a downturn? 
Mm-hmm. We work quite intimately with what are called the market makers, which in times of either financial distress or even just times when there's somebody trying to put on a large position, those market makers step in. In the case of ETFs, they can build what are called creation units where that market maker will go to the market uh, and purchase the equivalent and necessary amount of stock of each individual holding with inside that index. If, if it's the S&P 500, they would buy a pro rata amount of each stock in that index or a simile, similarly here in Canada. We have seen situations where there is that liquidity disconnect. Um, a prime example would actually be during the flash crash of August 24th, 2015, I believe, when we saw a bit of a, dif- a differentiation between the NAV, which is what the ETF should be worth, and what it was actually trading at. That did happen in more, I would call, niche ETFs that are, are pretty focused on specific names. But the broad market indices, there's typically uh, a good flow of both buyers and sellers. And additionally, the underlying names themselves are quite liquid. And like from any learning experience, uh, I can't imagine we'd see a similar type of event take place in today's marketplace. How do you decide or how does the model decide when you're in a bear or a bull market? So tactical is a systematic model, which removes a lot of the emotional decision-making and biases that um, both individual institutional investors can suffer from. So it's not so much a call on our fundamental view of the market. Uh, It's using our trading signals with end of day pricing. And at that point, deciding whether we need to purchase more equity, sell equity, or stay flat. We do also manage the Redwood Core Income Equity Fund, which is a North American dividend focus strategy where we take a longer term outlook on the economy. And if we want to pivot into that type of a view, we certainly think that this bull market, albeit long in the tooth, probably still has some room to run as a lot of our global and macro indicators aren't really pointing to signs of weakness at this point. Speaking of the Redwood Tactical Asset Allocation Fund, why did your firm create it? So our chief investment officer, Craig Bassinger, designed this strategy back in 2011 when reflecting back at the great financial crisis uh, with the opinion that our industry as a whole kind of failed investors providing them with enough solutions to really protect capital during such a catastrophe. Um, And so we wanted to design something that would help mitigate overall portfolio volatility, uh, provide a smoother ride for investors, uh, and help them achieve their retirement or life stage goals. This is by no means meant to be an all-encompassing solution, but a complement to a traditional portfolio of both stocks and bonds. Could you elaborate a bit on how it's supposed to complement somebody's portfolio? Sure. So the strategy can shift from all the way from 100% equity to 100% fixed income. So if you included it into, let's call it a balanced portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds and carved out a 10% sleeve for this, that would allow the asset allocation for that investor to swing from 70% equity down to 50% equity based on strength in the market. Um, And unlike most fundamental portfolio managers, even like myself, with the old mantra of buying low, selling high, 
Tactical is actually selling equity as the market continues to move lower on the premise that what if this is the next major correction? It continues to reduce that weight as probably many other parts of your portfolio are actually using that as a buying opportunity. Buying the dips as it is uh, often referred to as has been a prosperous strategy as of late, but business cycles are real. At one point, uh, this market will pull back and it's at that exact moment when a solution like Tactical that's reduced your overall equity exposure will help mitigate some of that volatility and smooth out your overall return experience. I think that's an important thing to talk about because there's the market timeline, which is it's in a bear run, it's in a bull run, what what, what have you. And then there's your timeline as a human being. Um, I want to buy a house in six years, let's say. So I need to save up for a down payment or I want to put a kid through school or I'm going to retire. I think using a tactical type of fund can help sort of tuck that money away to if you you really need it, right? So I need this money in six years. I need it to be not recession proof, but but pretty defensive towards that strategy because um, that's my timeline and I'm not sure what the market timeline is. I can invest money in a tactical style fund to try to protect that money so that, hey, I really need this at a certain point in my life because I need to achieve X. Is, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, time horizon is extremely important to consider when you're evaluating your risk tolerance as an individual or evaluating the risk tolerance of a client if you are a financial advisor. Generally speaking, the longer the time horizon, the more risk somebody can take because they'll be able to weather the ups and downs of the market. Um, and that's exactly why a solution like Tactical, the Redwood Tactical Asset Allocation Fund can come in handy. I mean, we're entering the ninth year of this bull market rally. A lot of people have been calling the end to it for quite some time and it continues to march forward. A solution like this gives you that equity market exposure uh, and should participate in a lot of the rally. However, if things do start to move the other way and if we do enter another bear market, uh, it will switch into plain vanilla fixed income and should help provide some of that uh, downside protection that we'll all want when things are not as much as in much of a Goldilocks scenario like we kind of see out there today. In a tactical fund, you're chasing the market. Is there a way to beat the market by chasing it or is this more sort of defensive? You're capping your gains, you're capping your losses to kind of hold that line on that um, principle. Yeah. So the goal of our fund is not to really outperform the equity markets. And just by design, we never would because at most we'll only be 100% invested in in equities and it will take us some time to get to that 100%. So as the market marches higher, uh, we wouldn't be able to keep up. However, in downturns uh, is where this strategy adds pretty much all of its relative value. Um, even if we just look at the last correction, which started in December 2015 and ended on January 20th for the S&P TSX, the index was down 13.2% over that brief period, while the F class of our fund was down only 3.2%. And so obviously we added a lot of value there. Subsequently though, the market did snap back, rally and recover many of those losses. And as we regained our equity position, we certainly underperformed on that that vast rally higher. However, during that period, a lot of your other risk-on investments are likely to be doing quite well as, as well. And that's why this is a, a fantastic complement in that type of a scenario. 
The fund's found in the tactical balance category on Morningstar. What are some of the advantages of this fund versus the competitors? So the tactical balance category is one of the most diverse categories with no two funds really being the same. I would say some of the differentiators between our strategy and our competitors would be a lot of our competitors have the latitude to invest anywhere in the world. Our strategy really only exclusively looks at the North American equity markets uh, with the goal of helping insulate a client's portfolio from volatility here in North America with the premise being that we just don't think that if an investor is missing out on a rally, call it in another part of the world like Japan or or Asia or Europe, and then subsequently if they were invested there and that market tumbles, you know, it's not really relevant to their own personal liabilities and investment outlook. So we focus exclusively here in North America. And then as well, a lot of our competitors have include time into their investment process. What I mean by that is they'll enter a position and either have a restriction on how quickly they could get out or a minimum holding period. We find that that can leave you vulnerable to markets that are moving much quicker than ever before. And lastly, we we invest in stages. Our mo- we have four different speeds of our model. Uh, we believe that coming in and out in stages helps our fund avoid being whipsawed, which we've seen happen to some of our competitors in the past. Can you explain what whipsawing is? Sure. Whipsawing occurs when the market is moving quickly higher and lower, kind of kind of gyrating higher and lower. And if you thought about it, where a tactical fund moves into the market because it's seeing momentum, the day it buys, then that momentum shifts the other way. And so they, the market sells off and then they sell and then it moves back up. And so then they buy. And so they're actually really giving you almost a really negative result as they're, they're not getting in and out in an opportune way. Uh, and that's why we use our different speeds because even if our quickest model does get whipsawed from time to time, those longer standing slower models tend to avoid that and catch the, the more pronounced trends. And that's the whole point of the staged approach is so that you're not running back and forth and and kind of losing and shifting the entire portfolio on a day-to-day basis, even though maybe some of your stages or some of your gears will trade faster. That's just to kind of pick up as soon as anything moves and then the longer term ones balance that out. Yeah, exactly. Within that context, the Redwood Tactical Asset Allocation Fund covers North American equities, as you said before. What are some of the primary threats and opportunities to North American equities in the near term? So I think, you know, bull markets don't die of old age, but we're certainly uh, getting pretty, pretty long from a historical standpoint on how long this market has rallied. One of the largest risks that I see is what is being deemed as the great unwind with um, both the Federal Reserve in the United States, as well as the ECB ending their asset purchase programs. That long period of monetary stimulus has been unprecedented to anything we've seen before. So I think that that could be, it's really going to be hard to foresee how the market takes that in stride. So that could be a risk kind of in the medium term here. From an opportunity standpoint, we're seeing synchronous growth across most global economies. We closely monitor 27 different economies across the world, all of which are in, are expected to grow this year and next. 
with expectations continuing to ratchet higher. Uh, that's extremely positive for the global economy and likely global equities as well. So I think despite the fact that uh, we have come a long way, typically when you recover from a credit-driven crisis, which the 2008 crisis was, it's a bit of a slower recovery. So there could still be some gains on the horizon pending that the central banks from across the world can slow their asset purchase program or end those in a in a way that does not kind of spook the equity markets. So any knee-jerk reaction could kind of from one of the central banks could have a potentially big impact or could make everybody run for the hills, although there are some real fundamental actual growth metrics behind this rally now. Because a lot of people talked about everything's going up, but the the underlying assets aren't necessarily catching up to that or, or, or justifying the the bull market we've been in. And now with a lot of economies growing, things are actually starting to move back into the the, the positive category, positive economic growth. Now it's looking like there could be some more some more time in this bull market unless unless something major happens from a central bank. Yeah, I mean, it, it, central banks is one of the concerns. There's there's many concerns um, globally from if you go across markets. I mean, here domestically in Canada, uh, the level of household indebtedness that we have as Canadians is is a concern for us. You know, we've seen home prices here in Toronto start to slow a bit, although that may be subsiding, it's still to be determined. And so I think each economy has their own idiosyncratic risks, which are risks inherent to their own uh, region. But I think that maybe one of the biggest overarching macro risks would be that central bank unwind. Um, but obviously, even from a geopolitical standpoint, you don't need to go too far outside the Korean peninsula to recognize that uh, something could happen overnight there that could give a knee-jerk reaction to the equity markets. That covers off the short-term risks. Can we talk a bit about some of the long-term risk to North American equities? Sure. I think longer term, I think inflation is an extremely important thing to consider as that's going to impact both bond yields and how central banks play out their monetary policy rate hike regimes, uh, which will have a role and effect to equity markets. So that's one of the, the pieces of the puzzle that we're constantly monitoring uh, through both bond yields and inflation expectations with both the Bank of Canada and the Fed and actually a lot of economies across the world kind of near that, I would call it generalizing the lower band of their inflation target. I think things are in check at this point, but again, this probably could circle back to that great unwind by the central banks if, if that percolates down into some sort of much quicker inflation which would lead likely to more rate hikes, which at that point would test that rolls onto mortgage rates, that rolls onto many factors into consumer and corporate lending. Uh, so I think the inflation scenario that's been so subdued for so long would probably be one of the longer term impacts that we pay close attention to. Speaking of inflation and interest rates, we've had guests on the podcast to believe the bond market's going to crash. Whether or not you agree with this, how does your tactical fund stand up to market corrections? Sure. So bond prices are in inherently inversely related to rising interest rates. When rates go up, bond prices typically go down. Um, however, historically speaking, in times of equity volatility and equity market weakness, we tend to see bond prices 
moving higher as bond yields are moving lower. And that's one of the backbone fundamentals of how we design the Redwood Tactical Asset Allocation Fund. We designed the strategy using data going back to the 1970s. We did out of sample testing for every major correction from the 70s up until present. Uh, And in most of those scenarios, the tactical fund held up quite well. However, I guarantee you every back test that anyone shows you is going to look pretty good or they won't be showing it to you. So (laughs) take that with a grain of salt. Um, but if we look at even just the last three corrections that we've had um, since going live with our strategy on the separately managed account platform at Richardson GMP, the efficacy of the strategy was proven with us having much lower downside capture, meaning we, we got much less of the pain from the equity markets than the market itself, uh, while still giving investors a fairly good amount of the upside um, on the on the rebound subsequent to the pullback. A tactical ETF automatically purchases equities or bonds or ETFs um, based on a set of rules. How do tactical funds differ from, a say, a robo-advisor? So a robo-advisor is typically going to be a turnkey all-in solution where an individual can put their net worth or the majority of their investable net worth into that solution and get global diversification our tactical fund and most tactical funds in the category aren't those standalone solutions. They're meant to be part of an overall portfolio with the systematic component being the model's own proprietary makeup. Whereas the systematic component of a robo-advisor typically surrounds the rebalancing uh, that takes place on either, whether it be quarterly, semi-annual or annual basis as defined by the manufacturer of that robo-solution. Part of our goal in the frontier is to educate listeners on some of the lessons professional money managers have learned in their jobs. With regards to this, what are some of the challenges facing retail equity investors in today's markets? I'd start my answer by saying it's probably one of the best times to be a retail investor. The amount of options out there are bountiful. Costs have come way in. But I think that is what presents one of the biggest challenges is trying to determine which provider and which solutions are right for you as a retail investor. And just because something seems crystal clear based on the name of the solution and the fact that it's either an ETF or a mutual fund, there can be more to the story. And so I think my advice would be to continue to do your homework despite the fact that you're investing in what, even if it's an equity index mutual fund is probably a little bit more diverse and a little safer than investing in individual stocks like retail investors may have had to do previous to the advent of these types of solutions. But it's still important to do your homework and understand how the makeup of these individual products uh, and the exact exposure you're going to get from from buying into them. And Chris, before you go, can you give our listeners one piece of advice about investing in ETFs or equities? Yeah. So outside of doing your homework, despite the fact that some of these solutions are, are pre-packaged for you. I think that even goes into the robo side, um, where a lot of those robo advisors may not have your best interest in mind and be using that as a vehicle to get some of, as another avenue to sell more of their own product. So always, even if it's a robo advisor or one of these turnkey solutions, make sure you understand how the investments that are selected for you how they're selected, why they're selected, and who's overseeing those investments. And then maybe if we just go back to something uh, we talked about a little bit earlier on 
you know, liquidity concerns with inside of vehicles like ETFs. I'd recommend individuals always using limit orders. Uh, that would protect you in those type of situations where if we did ever foresee another type of flash crash, if you went to the market with a market order, it's just going to give you the best available price at that time, which might be significantly worse than you'd be willing to pay. And so that limit order uh, predefines the price level that you're willing to pay for that individual security and should help protect you against some of those market anomalies that can occur from time to time. So when you buy an equity or an ETF, make sure that you put in the price that you want to sell it in case everything's crashing, sort of like a floor price for yourself so that you're not going to get slammed in a major downturn. You're, you're going to be able to sell it fast and you're going to be able to sell it at a, a liquid price or a price that somebody else is willing to buy it. Yeah, certainly. And especially if you're doing this on your own, you might not even have live pricing that you're looking at. And so you might think, okay, I'll put a market order in because even if I'm a few pennies away from what I'm seeing on the screen, I'm okay with that. But if you have a 15 minute delay, it might be significantly more different uh, than what you thought you were going to get. And so I would, that's one of the other reasons why I think limit orders are important for retail investors. That's great. And I'm really glad that we had you on because I think it's important and I don't think enough people who are directing their own investments or many people talk about sort of your own personal timeline versus the market timeline. And I think that having vehicles that can help you defend against downturns in the market that aren't going to work or aren't going to jive with your timeline uh, as an individual and what your financial goals are, it's important to know more about those options. So thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about the Tactical Asset Allocation Fund, please visit PurposeInvest.com or ConnectedWealth.com. This episode is brought to you by Capintel, a fund analytics company helping investment professionals select the top performing funds for their clients. Industry experts nationwide trust Capintel to make better decisions faster. Find out why at Capintel.ca.